Welcome to 24 Karat Conversations with Phyllis and Rhonda, where two best friends decided to start a podcast on real women, real friendships, and real issues. Our mission Bible verse is Job 23.10. Yet he knows the way I have taken, and when he has tested me, I will emerge as pure gold. We want to encourage, inspire, and offer hope in a world where life can seem to be unrealistic. Be a support for you to cheer you on as a wife, mother, daughter, sister, and friend. Most of all, you get to relax and laugh with us about all things women. Plus, we like all things sparkly. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Hello, 24 Carat Tribe. Hey, Welcome peeps. Back. We are so excited today. Um, we have Linda, and I'm going to butcher, butcher your name, it. Linda. So what is your last, you say your last name. <laughs> Zanaco. Okay. Linda um, and I met over social media um, probably over a year ago, and I was just so impressed by her ministry. She has He Knows Your Name ministry, and she is the author of a nationally recognized and award-winning book, He Knows Your Name, How One Abandoned Baby Inspired Me to Say Yes to God. And we're going to talk about her story today, so I'm not going to tell you much more than that, but I will tell you that Linda has nationally appeared on The Steve Harvey Show as a guest on In the Market with Janet Parshall, The Harvest Show, and um, she has also been featured on tons of radio shows and print publications, and she's received the Jefferson Award from ABC, the McMiracle Award from the McDonald Foundation, United Way's 100 Heroes, and the Fox News Community Hero of the Month Award. So welcome. I am so honored to have you on here. Thank you. <laughs> We are just on. I'm so glad to be here with you. Oh my goodness. So I guess, um, I guess I want to just kind of start with telling us how you started your ministry, maybe a little bit of background about you and what caused you to, um, start He Knows Your Name. <laughs> well, I, so I'm from the Chicago area and I married my high school sweetheart just right out of college. We had dated five years and now we've been married 38 years. Wow. And we live in Indianapolis. Um, we moved here about a year after we were married. So we, I feel like my, half my life has been here, clearly. And having my children here makes this feel like my home and like I've always been here, for sure. Um, we love Indianapolis, and we love doing church here and community here. It's been a really great place to raise our family. Um, and I have, I'm one of seven kids, I'm a middle child, and so I come from that big family dynamic, and um, I, we lived here probably 30 years, 30-something years, with no family in town, and now there's a 25 and 6 here. So it's been so fun in the last five years to just develop some, like really doing life on life with my family, because it's been so long since I've done that. Yeah. And um so our adult children all moved away. We have four of them. And then, you know, two of them moved back. And one of the ones that moved back is my son, Andrew. He went to Baylor University. And he is our pastor here at Antioch in wow. the church. Oh, that's awesome. And so it's been really cool to have him come back here, plant the church, and lead us. And hmm. um, to just to be in servant leadership with him here. Um, with the younger generation really over us, stewarding our walk with the Lord has just been really awesome. Um, and he's really awesome also because he's given us three grandchildren. Oh. And um, we have two married children and two daughters that are not married yet. 
Um, but our three grandchildren are from Andrew, and they are, um, of course, here with us, and they are six, almost four, and not even 48 hours old. Yeah, I oh, saw that. Congratulations. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Um, I've been, like, emptying trash, you know, changing diapers, helping um, with the, you know, homeschooling of the six-year-old, and we're kind of doing it all, and... I'm tired. I don't know how to raise people. Yeah. Really it's that's, true. That's, that's why you have kids when you're young. Yeah. <laughs> oh, that's funny. That is so true. Oh, my gosh. So, so I was like, I have to go home and do a podcast. And- <laughs> Which is way more fun. You're like, I'm very busy. <laughs> Oh, oh, that's awesome. that's funny, Linda. I'm a grandma too, and it's so funny because I love going and spending time with my grandson. But both my husband and I, if if they either they come to visit or we go down there, when we leave, we go. Oh, I'm so glad we don't <laughs> have to go home to anything else. <laughs> I know it's a lot, and I, you know, I think there it's either like you're the visiting grandparent and you come and do like the the bang of. A, you know, a hard week of going really hard and fast. Yeah. Or like we kind of do the little bit every day. And um, I think, you know, either way it's a joy. But we are so, so thrilled to have them here. Oh, and, that's awesome. Um, we just love doing community with them and doing church with them too. Yeah. It's so great. That is um, awesome. But then my, my two of my daughters that are live away, one is in Portland, Maine, and she's married. And then the other one is a nurse in Nashville, and she's getting her master's there. Wow. And so I'm really thankful that two of my girls have moved to such awesome cities. Yeah, right. Yeah. Yeah. There they are. Yeah. That is awesome. So how did you, um, and I, I know when we initially spoke, I was just so, I, I don't know their word than shook by your story because um, you basically take abandoned babies and adopt them and give them a resting place in like kind of a nutshell. So tell us like how he knows your name started, what inspired you to do that and how God has worked in so many ways on that. Yeah. So I guess I'm going to just start by saying, you know, I just turned 60. And so I, I'm really like of the Oprah generation where you know, the, everyone watched the Oprah show, and it seemed like experience qualified people to do what they do or start this cause that they were starting or champion something because their experience or their life story. And I just can't relate to that because I never had infant or pregnancy loss. And mm-hmm. so that part of this part of my story does not make sense. And so when I saw the news about a baby found in a dumpster here in Indianapolis in 2009, honestly, it did not make sense that I jumped and was, my heart was stirred. And I, I think I was just more moved by the injustice of it. Um, and I, of course, didn't understand how that could happen or what does our community do with a baby like that. And so I called the journalist who wrote the article I was reading online as I was watching the breaking news story go going through and like the yellow caution tape and the sirens everywhere and I was like oh my goodness what's happening here and so he directed me to call the coroner's office and so I did and um you know I was nervous because like who calls the coroner's office right I mean that's not an office any one of us ever want to have to call and um I was just so struck when I called and asked my very first question and that was really what happens to a baby that's been found in a dumpster Mm. and the answer was really my answer and it was that we really don't have anything in place to, to take care of a baby in death appropriately. The baby would be put in a mass grave. Mm. 
and I'm like, Ugh. so the injustice just kept revealing itself to me, mm-hmm. and I was like, well, that's totally unacceptable. And I think the bigger heart throb for me was really born out of the fact that I had just buried my mom six months before. Mm-hmm. She had an 18-month battle with uh, lung cancer, and I... I just, my mother had put me in charge of her funeral and her, all of her end-of-life decisions and care. And so I walked through that with her just six months prior, so I was still grieving. Yeah. And I was, you know, like, I just bought her a beautiful headstone. I helped right. select her clothing with her. I, you know, made sure she was honored and, and you know, in, in dignity in every way, shape, or form with mm-hmm. my siblings and my father. And so it was like, when I heard this, like, what the story of this baby what hit me was the headline said, baby doe found in a dumpster wearing only a diaper. Mm-hmm. And my heart responded immediately with doe is not a name, a dumpster is not a grave, mm-hmm. and a diaper is not burial clothing. Mm-hmm. And I really think that really coming from the place of what I had just done for my mother, and like every child of God deserves this, there's no way on my watch in my generation I'm going to sit and watch this happen. Mm-hmm. And so I just asked them to put me my name on the, in the file and make sure that, you know, this baby would be granted everything I think this baby deserved. And they were like, okay, well, no one's called. And I'm like, you know, I'm hearing her say no one has called. And I'm hearing from heaven, like, that's why this has your, this assignment has your name on it. And, um, and so they said, well, it's criminal investigation could take a while. And I was like, I've got time. Like, I'm not going anywhere. And so that criminal investigation went 18 months and I called them every single Friday morning and just bugged them and, and what started happening was I started developing relationships with people there. And as other needs came about, even while I waited for this baby, um, I kept, you know, they kept saying, well, does your organization do this? Or would you, you know, have you done this? Have you, you know, have you done that before? And I kept thinking, like, what organization? It's just me, you know? <laughs> oh, that's and, and so, yeah. Uh, yeah, I was like, okay, you know. and God just organized you. <laughs> God just gave you an organization you didn't know about. <laughs> oh. oh, exactly. And I was driving my car one day, and they, the coroner said, well, we have a five-month-old baby here oh. that's, you know, been abandoned here. And I was like, none of this made any sense to me. Mm-hmm. And I was like, how does a baby get abandoned at the coroner's office? And um, they were just like, we know who the family is, but they will not come and do the right thing. You can't drag them by their hair to come mm-hmm. here and do this. You know, they know what they're supposed to do, but they just don't do it. And we can't just keep them here. Right. And I just was like, well, and they said, well, you know, your organization is going to take care of this other baby, so won't you take care of this baby? <laughs> and I was like, well, that actually was the harder yes, because... Saying yes to that baby for me was the saying yes to all babies. Yeah. You know, like, yeah. there's more, and I can't get my head around this, but, I mean, I literally stopped my car, pulled over, and just cried and asked mm-hmm. the Lord, like, what, what, what's happening here? And he was like, we're doing this. And it is an organization, and it's called He Knows Your Name. And <laughs> I was just like, okay. And, you know, I started, I just, like, wrote him a letter, an email, and, started just using that as my organization name, you know, because it started giving me authority Mm -hmm. because it was from God. And so what I realized is that 
even though I had no experience to equip me and qualify me, I had no education to equip me and qualify me, I realized that when God anoints you to do something and he puts a call on your life and then you respond and say yes, it becomes this partnership of, of a beautiful, um, um, like, authority and equipping mm-hmm. to continue to walk through it and the doors and every, all the new relationships and everything that it, that it requires. And mm-hmm. I realized, like, oh, wow, even though I don't have experience in this, I don't need experience. No. Yeah. Take care of a baby. Mm-hmm. When the greatest miracle is performed at the grave, um, mm-hmm. I know what to do with That's a good. baby. Yeah. And the gift of grace came in the form of a baby. Of course I'm going to give honor and dignity mm-hmm. here. Yeah. Um, and I just kept, I just started saying yes, and I just kept saying yes, and here I am 11 years later wow. um, with this ministry that just continues to be so organic and grow and flourish under you know, God's calling on my life. Yeah. I mean, I, I was so touched by your story. I think mainly because it wasn't like you came from a place of like you had lost a child, you know what I mean? Like, so it It wasn't personal to her. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, yeah, you know, it was, I'm sure, you know, losing your mom was really tough, Mm -hmm. but I mean, you hadn't actually walked the journey of Mm -hmm. losing a child. And so, um, as both, so Phyllis and I have both lost children. Um, and it's just so interesting because when we decided to interview you, I didn't realize that it was going to fall right during um, Infant Loss Awareness mm-hmm. Month yeah. in October. And so I thought, how yeah. appropriate. You know, God's timing is perfect with everything. And, um, I mean, he knows your name is done so many things. I, I watched you do a uh, burial service for, uh, with I think it was three babies. Was that like two, uh, three weeks ago, three or four weeks ago that it you... Actually, it ended up being five babies. Oh, my goodness. It's the most I've ever done in a, in a mm. total funeral. Like, they just kept coming within <sighs> a month period of time. And I, I was just like, I've done two before. But even when I thought it was going to be three, I still was overwhelmed. And then yeah. the coroner called me after literally 12, 24 hours before the funeral. And unbeknownst to her, she just said, hey, I've got two babies here that... Um, are ready to be released because, mm. you know, we've gone through all the legal steps with right. everything that they do. And I was like, are you kidding me? Like, I couldn't even believe it. Yeah. Um, so I I was like, well, you know, I might as well do them all together because under the circumstances of life right now with COVID and my, my all my resources, everyone is so taxed anyway yeah. for everything yeah. that we're doing. I thought we need to just do all this together and the timing is ideal. So... Yeah, yeah, I did those all together. And those were, interestingly enough, babies abandoned at hospitals and mm-hmm. the coroner's office. So they were a combination of why and how they were abandoned. Um, and so I just do those kind of steadily as needed. Are there all, are there, when you hear some of the stories, is, it, is there a common theme or is there just a different kind of thing with these families of why they don't come back? Well, the babies that are abandoned at hospitals, mm-hmm. um, they are all babies that are old, older than 20 weeks gestation, Ugh. and they, by law, have to be um, taken care of in death, and that's why I claim them, and what's interesting is that because they were born in a hospital, they have a, they have a combined and shared um, medical record with their mothers. Mm-hmm. And so they cannot tell me their story. Mm-hmm. Um, but these are babies that are born. They, the last name is on the paperwork. 
sometimes mom's name, sometimes they don't. But I see some of the paperwork, but it's not the paperwork that tells me a whole lot about like what happened mm-hmm. with delivery or right. you know what kind of medical crisis was the mom in possibly or anything. Um, I know you know the weight and the size and if the baby breathed and um, you know how long the baby lived if the baby lived at all and mm-hmm. um, some of those those general things right. I do not get other medical information. So um, these babies, it is a little different. Um, and, you know, it's just, I would say that in general, my conversations with hospitals anymore, I am, the revelation is coming that, you know, social issues are climbing and getting more intense mm-hmm. everywhere from trafficking mm-hmm. to drug abuse mm-hmm. to homelessness and yeah. um, domestic violence that I can say, it, you know, what, the numbers are climbing of my rescuing them from this situation in hospital instead of being in a morgue for months and months and months. I can claim them and name them and dress them in something beautiful and give them a celebration of life and a headstone. Mm-hmm. And so um, that's really all I know yeah. at that point. And I know that the mothers can go back and get information at the hospital about where their baby has been buried. Mm-hmm. So it's always my hope that they do go back and right. have a moment with their grief yeah, and see where their baby is. Yeah. And I mean, that's like a perfect segue into talking a little bit about the cuddle cots. Mm -hmm. So um, we connected based on those. um, And I'm super excited to say that the Tiana Foundation, I'm going to cry, has a cuddle cot. And I am like, when you when you sent me that email a couple weeks ago, I just sobbed because um, to know that my daughter's brief life is going to help a mother bond with her child and we're going to talk a little bit about the cuddle cots and why they're so important um and especially in communities where um you know it's a poverty community the cuddle cots are even more important um so tell us a little bit about cuddle cots sorry i just like i'm still so like emotional over the fact that we get to do this for a hospital and i am just i'm so excited i'm just so excited about getting one in a hospital uh-huh. I am so excited for you because I know for you, Rhonda, like I know what this is going to continue to birth in the yeah. mm-hmm. And I've watched just as years have passed since I've been partnering with families to provide cuddle cots for hospitals. Like the stories just keep unfolding. Yeah. And, you know, I get random emails or texts from people and they're like, I used a cuddle cot in a hospital and the baby's name on it was, you know, whatever. And now, you know, so they leave the hospital in their grief and shock, um, but they leave having seen a beautiful legacy and yeah. gift given. And it prompts them to then think the same way and yeah. leave the hospital thinking, well, what will my memorial for my baby be? And what will I want to do? And maybe it is a cuddle cot, maybe it's something else, but mm-hmm. I wanted to touch other families so they know they're not alone. And yeah. and so it really is a living legacy that is just mm-hmm. so beautiful. But I, and I think I told you this, Rhonda, when we talked, you know, what's interesting is because of the abandonment issues that I try to support at a hospital level, um, my first thought with the cuddle cot when I first heard about it about five years ago was, oh, if I get a cuddle cot for this, these hospitals, these really at-risk hospitals that are in the inner city, um, maybe if the babies stay with the mom while they're there healing mm-hmm. um, physically, you know, from whatever, whatever they're, they're in the hospital, maybe if they keep the baby with them, they will bond, mm-hmm. and then they won't abandon. Yeah. And that really was my first 
prompt to like take, take I thought, oh, there's a solution to this abandonment issue that mm-hmm. I'm dealing with. And it was really one of the first ways that I felt like, okay, I'm going to help take care of this problem over here. But of course, if you're not able to help with a solution, it starts to feel like you're just running the same play all the time right. and you're just not getting anywhere. And I was like, no, I want it to be redemptive. And I want, I want to help these mothers who are already really hurting or struggling um, to leave the hospital more healthy and whole. Um, mm-hmm. And I think doing that is because they're going to bond with their baby. So that's kind of what started it. But then quickly I realized, oh my goodness, there's so many families that have lost that love and want their babies mm-hmm. and they too need this. Yeah. who would be blessed by this and yeah. the gift of time that they get because of the cuddle cot changes their experience in the hospital with their baby with their family and with leaving with hope thinking that they created an opportunity for their family to get to know this baby spend time with this baby take pictures have footprints have siblings come in and meet this baby and let the grandparents fly in from wherever and get time with this baby and it became like this unbelievable experience for days and days families and their babies that was it's changing everything bereavement wise in the hospitals and then as I started doing that so the first thing I did was buy five of them and put one in each hospital network in central Indiana because they're a wonderful portable device and the hospital said we'll share it within our network so that's what they were doing. And then, um, you know, all of a sudden people were using them and like you wanted to start fundraisers. Yeah. And I think, I mean, we have over, we, I think we have over 45 in the state of Indiana. Wow. And I mean, I've probably helped sponsor, purchase or sponsor at least 35 of those. And the stories though, interestingly enough, coming from the nurses, was a whole other blessing because the nurses love them so much because they feel like they're giving excellent care to their patients mm-hmm. in this crisis situation. Yeah. And they, they, they just have said, we've done makeshift things to try and create the same type of device, but they never work and they're not sustainable. Um, but the nurses just feel like they are watching families, you know, really bond and bless and celebrate their babies and have time with them in a way that they've just never seen before. So I feel like we have really hit the jackpot. Yeah. No, totally. And everything about a really great device. Yeah. And I think like for those of you who like were kind of talking cuddle cot, like you know what it is. So just to kind of go back, like the cuddle cot kind of keeps the baby at a perfect temperature so that you don't have to give the baby back as quickly. So, um, in my case, you know, my daughter, I had just, I think less than probably eight hours with her to be able to get family to see her, to be able to spend some time with her. And then I had to give her back because, you know, their bodies are are little and they start to decompose at a very quickly level. And I don't know, Phyllis, I mean, so with me, um, what we were at Stanford and so what, um, my son was hooked up to a lot of devices because he had open heart surgery at four days old. And so he was passing after two weeks. And so they um, cleaned him up. It was actually the first time I got to hold him since uh, like his birth I did. Mm-hmm. And then four days later he got sick. And so um, they put him in a nice outfit that we had picked out. And so they had a separate room for us to go to. 
and then we could hold him mm-hmm. until his last breath. Right. So um, we were probably with him, I want to say, less than an hour. Yeah. 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 And, and we just, and no one else came in. It was just right. at the time my husband, um, he's my ex husband now, but <laughs> my husband then. And so, um, we didn't even think about like having family members come mm-hmm. say goodbye because because they were taking him off life support, he only had a certain amount of time. Right. Yeah. So yeah, so it was a completely different experience. But I was just when you were talking, I was thinking, gosh, if we had one of those cots, we could have had family members come mm-hmm. in and spend a little time with him too. Yeah. 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 I mean I do think it just it does help with the grief process. Um because there is, you know, even though your, your baby's passed, there is a bonding that happens, yeah. you know, I mean, you have a bonding almost immediately, you know, and so it's to be able to have that extra time and to be able to give those parents that time that they need, you know, and not, cause I really felt very rushed. I just, I don't remember mm-hmm. a ton, but I remember feeling like my mom was like, okay, baby, like you're going to have to say goodbye now, you know? And it was like, if I had only, and I was in the, I had a C-section, so I was in the hospital a few days. It would have been very nice to be able to have that time, Mm -hmm. you know? And so I'm just so excited about what you're doing. And, you know, that's so important for these parents to have that time. And, you know, and for those communities that don't have the resources that they're able to bond. And maybe that's even a chance for the social workers really to give them the information that they need so they can bury their child too, you know, to get the resources to be able to bury their child. So, I mean, I just, what you're doing is so beautiful and I love watching you on social media because I'm like, Oh my gosh, look at her, look at her go. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, but you know, I, I don't even know. I just think you are a gift from heaven for these parents. And thank you so much for, for doing that. I mean, I know you not only bury the babies, but you give them headstones. And then you also, you know, work with, do these cuddle cots and you have the safe haven baby boxes. Do you want to just touch real briefly on that? Cause that's just crazy too. <laughs> Right, so we just dedicated the 43rd Safe Haven Baby Box in Indy. Well, so 40, 40 of them are in Indiana. We've got, there's two in Ohio and one in Florida. And um, Monica Kelsey is the founder of the Safe Haven Baby Box, and she and I started collaborating um, in 2015 after one of the babies that I claimed that was found outside, baby Amelia, in 2015. Um, Monica and I met at her funeral, and so this baby was totally abandoned outside and died. And um, when I met Monica, she was just starting to work on the legislation to add to the safe haven law, the safe haven baby box law. And um, I gave testimony before the Senate and the House of Representatives about the fact that there really are abandoned babies and they're left outside and they're left outside to die. And we really need to give mothers more options. And clearly, as the social issues climb, um, and, you know, they were, the defense was that the safe haven law was enough. And, um, you know, we do say that we prefer that women choose the safe haven law, like handing their baby to a first responder is really our preference. Mm-hmm. But under the circumstances of the pressures of life and the pressures of social issues right now, more and more women just cannot do that. And they need the anonymous safe surrender option that the box provides. Mm-hmm. And there have been eight babies put in these boxes, and they've been all of them have been adopted in 30 days. So mm-hmm. I call the Safe Haven Baby Box an adoption option. Yeah. And um, 
you know, there's a hotline, and so most of the mothers have um, called the hotline at some point in their journey of deciding, but these are all women have chosen to carry, and so and here again, I support it so much because I believe it's a collaborative effort that I can do to um, avoid abandonment, yeah. and I've seen, and I've read the autopsy results from these babies that have been abandoned, and they're horrible, and, um, you know, they... The new law is being duplicated in other states, so I think the Safe Haven Baby Box law is now in about three or four other states, and it's just, um, it's growing, and it's becoming a movement, and I believe that in five years we're going to see this be our normal, like, in every state kind of thing. Like, the way this is escalating is amazing. And the thing, I, for me, the collaborative effort is that I gave testimony about baby Amelia, and Monica Kelsey chose to put Amelia's footprint on her logo of the wow. box. And so, you know, I just, every, so all the dedications we have, I always go speak and I travel all around and go support her and tell the story of Amelia because we just don't mm-hmm. want abandonment. We have not had one dead baby in the state of Indiana since baby Amelia because of safe and baby boxes, I believe. Wow. And I think we're using the media and all these devices to talk about awareness and raise education about mm-hmm. all these different issues, which we need to continue to do. And the government is not spending any money on it, so we need media at these events, and they come all the time. And we're teaching about the safe haven law and the box mm-hmm. and the options that moms have so that they can have um, a hotline number on their phone and they can have a place that they know they can go and deliver a baby um, and surrender a baby, a healthy baby. And that's, amazing. Um, that's just becoming like our new normal here in Indiana. And I'm so thankful for it. Well, we are thankful for you. We're yeah. thankful for everything that you are doing for these parents and, you know, the children the babies. Um, that you are, you know, honoring their names. Um, and so I, gosh, I could talk to you for hours. I'm just like, wow, you're just amazing. But I do have one last question for you. And it is our standard 24 karat conversation question. And we want to know what you would tell your 22-year-old self. <laughs> I love that question. I'm so thankful you gave it. <laughs> I, I've been thinking about it, and I thought, you know, I, I was uh, newly married um, when I turned 22. And I'd moved across the country, and I'd never moved before. I was born and raised in the Chicago area, and we moved to the East Coast, and I was just in shock. I just didn't even know how to even function in transition of being married and uh, moving away from my, all my friends and family. And um, I guess it's funny for me just turning 60. I think, gosh, what would I, I think I would have liked someone to tell me that there will come a time in your life when you look nothing like your 22-year-old self. <laughs> it's true. And it will be astonishing. So I wasn't even a believer in Jesus Christ at the time. And so I, I just think I would have loved to have known because the time seemed a lot kind of traumatic for me um, with lots of transition and lots of change happening that I, I would have loved for someone to tell me that there will come a day when you are so comfortable in your own skin mm-hmm. and you're living it with the plans and purposes on the earth in you that God mm-hmm. has put in you. You will be living them in your fullness, full self someday. And um, you will know what you were created to do. And like I've had that hope for my future. Mm, I love that. Thank you so much for joining us today and just sharing your heart. And how can they support you and find you on social media? Yes, I would love for um, your listeners to come to um, he knows your name.org 
and a pop-up screen of subscribe will come up, and I'd love for them to subscribe to my newsletter. I send it out every month with all kinds of wonderful updates and events and happenings. Um, but also there's a tab there on my website about cuddle costs, and I think it's a great place for people to go and get more resource and more information about the device and what it looks like and um, really get a great sense of um, where it has been placed and some testimonies about it. Yeah. Um, and then, of course, I'm on Instagram as Linda Zanaco. I'm on He, know, I'm on he Knows Your Name Facebook page and Linda Zanaco on Facebook. Um, and, yeah, I mean, I, I just, as you know, like, I mean, I try to stay current in social media with events and just keep showing. Like, I feel like God has always told me, like, don't just tell people what you're doing. Show them what you're doing and what you believe yeah. and what Facebook looks like. And so I really use my social media platform to show what does a day in the life of Linda look like? What does yeah. a day in the week look like? A week look like in Linda's life and recapping and showing, like, where I am and because the people I get to meet and do life with um, are extraordinary, and He Knows Your Name has opened a whole new world to me. It's like a whole second career for me at this <laughs> season of my life. And That's so awesome. I don't know where I'd be without it because I believe this is what I was made to do. Well, thank you so much for joining us today. And I, you know, we will for sure be talking to you again, because once we get the cuddle caught, we're going to figure out where it needs to be placed and we'll be updating, um, our 24 karat tribe on all of that as well. So thank you so much for joining us and 24 karat tribe. Thank Thank you you for joining us. Thank you. It's been an honor. And 24 karat tribe. Don't forget to join us and follow us on our social media as well. 24 karat conversations podcast and on our Facebook group. And until next time, sparkle on.